If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Interviews, news, and analysis of the day's global events. This is Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hello, and thanks for joining me today for your global news hour. There is a stack of news as usual to get through, and we've got a lot to discuss, analyze, and some of it is going to make you a little bit crazy. Some of it's going to provide you with a lot of hope. The big deal that's going on at the moment is that the shakeup is really happening and the status quo is no more. Now, on today's show, with the surprise runaway victories to anti-globalist leaders in the elections in the Netherlands and Argentina, we ask, who is the next one to fall? In the UK, as the COVID inquiry continues, new data shows an alarming increase in cancers in the age groups 18 to 44. And after criticising the Biden administration's open borders policy and how it was negatively affecting New York, its mayor, Eric Adams, has been investigated by the FBI for election malfeasance. Now a rape claim from 30 years ago emerges. But first today... Israel's military has taken into custody the director of the Ashifa Hospital in Gaza City for questioning after saying tunnels at the facility were proof Hamas had been operating there. Hospital staff have been repeatedly denied that claim. We strongly condemn the Israeli Nazi occupation's arrest of Dr. Mohammed Abu Salamia, general director of the Ashifa Hospital, along with several medical staff who remained at the facility to help patients and wounded evacuate. In this in this statement from the Hamas official statement, that is, we see this move by Israel as nothing less than despicable, lacking any sense of humanity and morals. It is also a flagrant violation of international norms and charters, given obligations to ensure that medical personnel are never harmed, including in times of war. We call on international bodies, including the International Committee of the Red Cross and the WHO, or World Health Organization, with which Dr. Muhammad was in contact to evacuate the remaining patients and wounded from our Shifa hospital, to exert pressure on the Israeli occupation's army to secure his release, along with the medical personnel who were arrested simply for continuing to fulfill their humanitarian duty. The military said it killed Amar Abu Jalala, who it described as a commander in Hamas's naval force in Khan Yunus. It said Abu Jalala and another fighter were killed in an airstrike. Hamas, however, does not have any navy or ships under its command, although it has used divers to attack Israel in the past. Western diplomats have warned that a long-feared disease outbreak among the hundreds of thousands of displaced people in Gaza may have already begun, according to the Haaretz newspaper. In the latest violence in the occupied West Bank, the Palestinian Health Ministry has said that 12-year-old Mohammed Ibrahim Faoud Edili was fatally shot by Israeli forces in the town of Beitar near Nablus. Qatar has announced the details of a four-day break in fighting, which will begin at 7am local time Friday, the day when the first group of captives held in Gaza, 13 women and children, will be released, with some 39 Palestinian prisoners also set to be released in the first phase of the deal. The agreement has sparked mixed emotions among Palestinians and Israelis. In Gaza, residents will be unable to return to their homes in the north. Meanwhile, those released from Gaza are only a small portion of people being held there. Ahead of the pause, Israel has stepped up fighting across Gaza, with Israeli forces launching fresh attacks on the Indonesian hospital in northern Gaza. At least 27 people were killed in an attack on a United Nations school, according to the Ministry of Health. And Dr. Majed Al-Ansari, who is the spokesperson for the Qatari Ministry of Foreign Affairs, held a press conference to announce developments in the Gaza humanitarian pause. Ansari stated that the truce would come into effect at 7am Friday. We join him now at this recent press conference. We have just uh, finished with all the communication. So we uh, we seem to have a problem with that uh, clip there, and uh, we will get back to that as soon as we can. Now, um, what's happening with Qatar being able to be the broker here is interesting because to get the confidence of both sides in the conflict, something had to give. But ironically, it's Qatar where Hamas's headquarters, or in fact, the people who are in charge, are where they reside. Very, very interesting situation that we're watching right now. Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu's numbers or his polling numbers are the lowest that they have ever been. Israeli society is seemingly not happy with how he's conducted himself throughout this war. The issue of the captives is perhaps the most important 
and also the most sensitive within Israeli society. Not only have the families of the captives been speaking out, but a lot of the Israeli public has been saying that Prime Minister Netanyahu, his government and his war cabinet are simply not doing enough. Just a couple of days ago, the Prime Minister and his War Cabinet met with representatives of all the families of these captives to try and give them information for the first time. Families have been increasingly frustrated trying to apply the pressure, organising demonstrations and marches. They've come out and said that their frustration comes from the lack of communication from the government about their loved ones, that they learn a lot of this information from the media and from leaks from Israeli officials. It is not communicated to them directly. Meanwhile, an unexpected and impromptu rally in Brisbane, Australia, saw a strange turnaround when a large group of Indigenous New Zealanders, Maoris, turned out in support of Israel at a time when a Palestinian rally was set to go ahead. The New Zealanders, who, like Aboriginals in Australia, know all about being First Nations people, and this was part of their understanding along with their biblical understanding as well. Now, part of the report we were going to present, and I think we've got a corrupt clip there, was Avi Yemeni from Rebel News interviewing a bunch of uh, attendees at this particular rally. What was really interesting, of course, was that there was meant to be a Palestinian rally at the same time. We've given word of it. The uh, church group from the, um, uh, the news where the New Zealanders came from decided to attend instead, and no Palestinians turned up. When Yemeni arrived and interviewed some of the attendees, he asked them what it was that they saw as the situation. And each person that he interviewed, man and woman, said the same thing. They believed that Israel was the indigenous people belonging to the area, that the Jewish people were the indigenous, and that was the reason that they were supporting. They said that they had a right to claim. It's a fascinating story because, of course, in Australia, where the voice referendum was recently defeated, given that the Aboriginal people here were now being called First Nations, a title that comes from Canada. Of course, the Maori people in New Zealand have all gone through this particular process. But when it pertains to Israel, there is also dispute over who it is were the first people. And so it is becoming this biblical event now. And it's very surprising because we're not seeing the usual left-right scenario. There is a genuine split in what we're seeing. Now, meanwhile, Gert Wilders, in his unexpected win for controversial, the controversial politician in Wednesday's election in the Netherlands, has set international headlines on fire. Right-wing nationalists across Europe rush to congratulate the populist politician, sometimes dubbed the Dutch Trump, partly for his dyed, bouffant-like hairdo, and partly for his famously firebrand rhetoric. The six foot four tall politician publicly expressed views, including linking Muslim immigration with terrorism and calling for a ban on mosques and the Quran, and are so provocative that he has been under tight police protection since way back in 2004. He claimed that the winds of change are here. And that was from Hungary's Prime Minister, Viktor Orban, who for whom Wilders is a fan. And after seeing those Dutch election results, things have certainly changed. He, like Wilders, is big on anti-immigration themes, as well as Brussels bashing Euroscepticism. Meanwhile, Flemish independence leader Tom van Grieken, who hopes for a similar election breakthrough in Belgium to Wilders in the Netherlands, was quick to conclude parties like ours are on their way in the whole of Europe. One might think it's coming around the world. Wilders' win was unexpected, not dissimilar to Javier Millet's surprise victory in Argentina. In fact, not even the man himself expected to win as many parliamentary seats. Wilders' team reportedly only rented a room to use as party HQ for election night three days beforehand. His Freedom Party surged in the polls very late in the campaign. And part of that was to do with who it was that wanted to side with him in the campaign. Because in Dutch politics, there are around 25 to 26 different parties competing. No one ever gets a majority, so a coalition has to be formed. And sometimes it takes months, in fact, to do it. And when the centrist party decided to join and Wilders decided to tone down some of his rhetoric, all of a sudden, he picked up huge support. He's focusing on the recent uh, restricting immigration, battling the Dutch housing crisis, improving the health services, and not reasons why you wouldn't vote for him. All seem quite logical and common sense. But he, of course, toned down that anti-Muslim rhetoric as the election approached. 
It's quite incredible to think that mainstream political parties also made immigration a centrepiece of their campaigns. This seems to have led many Dutch voters to conclude that they may as well vote for the original. Gert Wilders has arguably campaigned on migration the longest and loudest on Netherlands' political stage. Also helping Wilders to success was inadvertently one of his rivals. As mentioned, Dylan Yasilgos Zagerius, the leader of the centre-right VVD party, opened the door during her campaign to go into coalition with Wilders. That helped soften his party's extremist image. Till then, the Netherlands' political mainstream had ruled out the idea of governing with him because of the nature of his politics. It's an incredible story yet again that negotiations during an election campaign can have that much benefit or outcome on the actual results. It'll be interesting to see how it follows up when Wilders goes to try and create a parliamentary coalition, both in the lower and upper houses, to be able to achieve what is really going on. The people clearly are saying enough is enough. And the main mystery, of course, right now is what will Wilders be able to achieve in terms of reversing some of the damage being caused to the Dutch farmers, the idea that these land, this land will be taken from them for green purposes, which just seems to be anti-human, crazy situation. And as we've spent many a minute on this program talking about the absurdity of the green movement and net zero, one wonders what comes next. Meanwhile, the media likes to brand Wilders as far right. As you heard in the news bulletin there with Matt earlier, this even police now are using politicisation of terms such as this, which is incredibly frustrating and how it is that we have to see or hear these terms. And of course, when you listen to the uh, uh, other people saying far right simply means right so far or the others are far wrong. Wilders says he wants to put the Netherlands first to give the Netherlands back to the Dutch. What's wrong with that? Similar refrain to Donald Trump's Make America Great Again, Italian PM Georgia Maloney's cry of Italy and the Italians first. He would join a chorus of voices at the leader's table, including Maloney, taking a hard line on EU migration and asylum policies. Wilders talks of a migration tsunami. And simply, the job of a politician is to put the principles and interests of the people of the country he or she represents first. It's not a new idea or a wrong idea. It is the only idea. Not putting people first is the reason why he managed to get so much success in the election, some 37 seats, like many others around the world. Meanwhile, a Pentagon education official has been snared in a human trafficking crackdown in suburban Atlanta, leading to his arrest on allegations that he solicited an act of prostitution. Stephen Havonic, 64, was among 26 people busted last week in a human trafficking sting conducted by the Coweta County Sheriff's Office in Newnan, Georgia, southwest of Atlanta. The Sheriff's Department in neighbouring Harrelson County, which assisted in the two-day operation, said the initiative resulted in six victims of human trafficking being rescued and moved to safety. Vanovic, who is the Chief of Staff for the Department of Defence Education Activity in the US, faces a misdemeanor charge of pandering, meaning he allegedly induced a person to take part in prostitution. The sting net of 10 arrests, four pandering, four for pimping, and 12 for prostitution. Meanwhile, military.com said his biography had been removed from the DODEA's website as of Wednesday. He's worked in education for more than 40 years, including stints as a teacher, coach, and administrator in the Virginia public school system. Banovich is currently on leave from his job at the DODEA. Agency spokesman William Griffith told military.com under Georgia state law, misdemeanor pandering is punishable by up to one year in jail and a $1,000 fine. Pandering is classified as a felony when a minor is involved, when the perpetrator compels someone to commit an act of prostitution under duress or coercion. Meanwhile, this is another cracker story. US pharmaceutical giant Pfizer has escalated its feud with Poland over excess COVID-19 vaccine doses that were ordered under a massive contract with the European Union, filing a lawsuit to demand payment for 60 million jabs that Warsaw didn't need. The case was filed, filed this week in Brussels, demanding 6 billion zloty or $1.5 billion for the vaccines that Poland's government declined after it stopped taking delivery of the jabs in April 2019. Warsaw was locked into buying its share of COVID-19 jabs under a controversial contract with the European Commission, signed with Pfizer in 2021 on behalf of EU nations. The bloc wound up ordering 1.1 billion doses under the contract, saddling EU states with a vaccine glut as the COVID-19 pandemic waned. The EU prosecutor's office 
uh, announced an investigation of the procurement process amid allegations of corruption and secret backroom dealings. Meanwhile, Polish Health Minister Katarzyna Sojka told broadcaster TVN24 on Wednesday that there is some hope of resolving the Pfizer lawsuit in a positive way. She noted that Warsaw is not alone in the issue, as the EU states will face similar lawsuits. Pfizer decided to go forward with the lawsuit following a prolonged contract breach, a period of discussions in good faith between the parties, a company spokesman told Politico. Millions of Poles refused to receive COVID-19 vaccines. Warsaw halted deliveries of the jabs as an influx of Ukrainian refugees in early 2022 strained the government's finances. Coming up after the break, New York Mayor Eric Adams denies rape allegations. This is Compass on. You should hear what Patrick Henningsen's talking about. So all the Israelis are really escalating air attacks and bombing attacks uh, to a degree that we haven't even seen before. Why this escalation? Why is it happening right now? This is a big problem. And this has been going on now for four weeks, ladies and gentlemen. And still no calls for a ceasefire, no definitive or categorical calls anyway from the U.S. leadership, from those who, from the onset, let's face it, they were backing this military action by Israel uh, on the Gaza Strip. And everybody thought, well, how bad could it be? How long could it go? Here we are a month later. We're still here. We're still talking to you. We're still reporting this. And another hospital was uh, hit last night as well. Well over 30 medical facilities and hospitals have been uh, hit and uh, taken out of action. In some cases, pulverized by the Israeli occupation forces or the IDF as it's uh, widely known. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. You're with Jason Olborn and Compass on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back. New York City Mayor Eric Adams has been hit with accusations that he sexually assaulted a woman when he was working as a police captain in 1993. The unidentified woman made her allegations in a summons filed on Wednesday night in New York State Supreme Court in Manhattan. She claimed that she was a co-worker of Adams at the time of the alleged incident. Summons named Adams, the New York Police Department and the new NYPD Guardians Associations as defendants in the case. The plaintiff, who is seeking $5 million in damages, filed her case under a 2022 state law that enables alleged victims of sexual offences for which the statute of limitations has expired to file lawsuits against their supposed attackers. The deadline for filing such suits regarding outdated allegations is Friday. Woman's lawyer, Megan Goddard, praised her client for having the guts to sue the mayor. Coming forward is not an easy thing to do, especially against a powerful person. And I'm in awe of the strength of the women who have the courage to do so, she told Daily Beast, without mentioning that it took her 30 years to do so. The summons offered no details on the alleged assault or identify what job the accuser held in city government. NYPD Guardians Association is a fraternal organisation for black police employees. Adams was 33 years old at the time of the alleged incident. The lawsuit creates another layer of legal trouble for Adams, at a time when the FBI is probing whether his 2021 mayoral election campaign conspired to receive illegal donations from the Turkish government. Federal investigators reportedly raided the homes of two aides to Adams earlier this month and seized cell phones from the mayor last week. Adams has clashed with US President Biden, fellow Democrat, over the federal government's handling of an illegal immigration crisis. Migrant crossings at the southern U.S. border surging to an all-time high. Adams has warned that an ongoing influx of illegal aliens will destroy New York City. He is the mayor after all. Where the heck is the president of the United States? Adam asked in a May television interview. That is a good question, and I think we should all be asking why this is happening to a city that was turning itself around and will continue to do so. 
The New York Post even speculated in an editorial earlier this month that the Biden administration is trying to inflict maximum embarrassment on Adams's retribution for criticizing the president's border policies. Quite incredible. Now, there was a big reaction on Twitter. I just want to read off a couple of things that I found. One person said, I remember when he became mayor. If you didn't have a vaccine passport, you couldn't go into a restaurant. He was selected. One reaps what they sow. Turnabout is fair play. Another said, I care for New York because it belongs to the US people. The people have to stand out against the regime of hate. Pro-Palestine does not care about people when they care about the term. Muslims are not freedom fighters. Quite incredible what's coming up right now. And so it is that people are really starting to see through what's going on here. Don't want to get on the wrong side of the Biden administration and its Department of Justice. Now, another story that many people are probably finding right now, if you look at your mobile phone, how many text messages are you getting with Black Friday deals? They're everywhere. My phone hasn't stopped beeping for the last 18 hours. It's quite relentless. There's been a warning from Australian shoppers that uh, to watch out on Black Friday as scammers are mimicking popular retailers online. And I've seen it a lot on social media sites like Facebook, where some ad comes up and this dodgy looking URL that doesn't match the company. You click on the site and all of a sudden everything's really, really cheap. Just doesn't sound right. But it seems that websites for are mostly for fashion and footwear brands. These are being sophisticatedly replicated to trick customers into thinking they're making a genuine purchase. The National Anti-Scam Centre has heard reports of nearly 3,000 fake websites this year alone, resulting in more than $500,000 in losses. Black Friday, which originated in the US as a way to snag a deal after Thanksgiving, is more popular than ever now in Australia. With its sister event, Cyber Monday, Roy Morgan anticipates shoppers to spend around $6.36 billion over the four-day period, representing rife opportunity for scammers to take advantage. Meanwhile, Andrew Williams, the chief executive of the Australian Communication Consumer Action Network, said he's expecting to see a number of scams over the coming days, which will prove to be a real challenge for consumers. With Black Friday, most of the sales are undertaken online. We're going to see an increase in fake online stores, Williams said. Scams are taking place over Black Friday and Cyber Monday because that's when more and more Australians are expected to be doing their online shopping. So the scammers are just taking advantage of more shoppers being online during this period. He said the fake websites can come from any source, from a hyperlink in a text message or via social media. The scam itself is not new, but the National Anti-Scam Centre, yes, there is one in Australia, has seen an increasing number of reports of fake online stores of late. We're seeing this increase in the number of scams, increasing losses and an increase in sophistication in the type of scam. Deputy Chair of Australian Consumer, uh, the Competition and Consumer Commission, the ACCC, Katrina Lowe said, once on the site, consumers are led through the entire shopping experience right through to the checkout. Ms. Lowe said that the item that will either never turn up or a cheap knockoff will be delivered instead. And the last generation climate change group has been designated as a criminal organisation, a Munich regional court, which announced the ruling on Thursday after considering 10 complaints from the climate activists over searches and seizures. The court dismissed the complaints, ruling that the last generation meets the requirements to be considered an organised crime group arguing that committing crimes does not necessarily need to be the only purpose of a group to be designated as such. The court said that the group's activities, including disrupting traffic and damaging property, constitute a significant threat to public safety and order. The Last Generation Group emerged in 2021, formed from participants of the Last Generation Hunger Strike, a protest action to demand a public conversation about the climate emergency. The candidates at the time for Chancellor of Germany the action involved camping out in Berlin's government district, as well as disrupting traffic in the city. The group has since grown, remaining active primarily in Germany, Austria and Italy. The last generation activists have blocked major traffic routes and airports, disrupted the work of facilities related to the fossil fuel industry, as well as staging attacks on museums with the goal of bringing attention to climate change issues. These activities have placed the group in the media spotlight, attacking paintings by artists such as Van Gogh and Monet, the methods of the last generation activists are similar to those of the UK-based Just Stop Oil Group and have involved smearing foodstuffs on paintings covered with protective glass. And coming up after the break with the results of the Dutch and Argentinian elections showing resistance to the establishment political parties and the globalist ideals being rejected, who will be the next government to fall? 
This is Compass on TNT Radio. News doesn't stop breaking, and we don't take a break from covering it. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Violent riots erupted on the streets of Dublin on Thursday night after several children were injured in a mass stabbing at a primary school, which is rumoured to have been committed by a migrant. It's been revealed Germany is running out of money for Ukraine, with reports suggesting Berlin won't be able to deliver Kyiv any more tanks than it has already pledged. And the planned ceasefire between Israel and Hamas was due to start on Friday morning, with the first hostages expected to be released Friday afternoon. I'm CAL FIRE Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media or visit fire.ca.gov. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me, and I was trying to figure it out, and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with these election swings that are happening. We've seen with Netherlands what's happening with Wilder's victory. We've seen what's happening in Argentina with Malay. And I want to just pause for a moment and talk about the Argentinian. Now, there's a lot of rumours on social media going around, or perhaps even more than rumours, but facts, that Malay is from the World Economic Forum, And there are even pictures of him in a mask taking a COVID vaccine in his left shoulder. People pointing to that and calling him controlled opposition. Not to make this point, there is no such thing as controlled opposition when you're going against the opposition. The real control there is the people that refuse to understand that politics is a blood sport, as Ev Zelensky said, and a game of inches. And it takes people to learn what it's like to get into politics, to understand just how rough and tough this game is when you're playing for countries and, in fact, the battle for the planet. And so it is that people that turn up and go through and get into power, 
especially when they've infiltrated, like we've seen with Malay, like we've seen with Trump. There were people saying that Trump was a Freemason and therefore he couldn't have been trusted. Now, I thought, and I think many people who've looked into this would think that Freemasonry provides that you look after your own. One thing we can say about Trump is no one was looking after him in the establishment. So we must look at this a little bit further and understand that politics is a filthy, filthy business. And unfortunately, it's the way that it always has been. And until we can change the system, it's the way it is. And so when you see a leather jacketed Malay looking like a rock star or a biker with the big sideburns, you think that this man is purely educated. He was an economics professor, written many books on the subject. Who better to have in power in a country with 133% interest rates, 140% inflation, where some organisations like Moody's are predicting that that inflation will hit 350% by 2025. Imagine going to the shop today in Argentina and buying a loaf of bread for $5, which is already expensive. And it turns out that in two years' time, it'll be more like $18. That is unsustainable. The country is already destroyed. People can't get housing, they can't get jobs. The hopelessness abounds. And one wonders how it is that you can keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different. One thing's for sure, Malay is a patriot, as is Wilders and as is Trump. And these men stand for one thing that the globalists don't. They stand for nationalism. That's right. My country first. Ain't nothing wrong with that, is there? Now, in France, Marine Le Pen's National Rally Party performed powerfully in its parliamentary elections. Germany's, here they go again, far-right AFD, maybe they just mean right so far, is consistently in second and sometimes in first place in opinion polls. And in Austria's People's Party is buoyant once more too. These parties are making their anti-immigration stance heard loud and clear, even if they don't make it into government. And create political pressure, pushing those that are seen as more as mainstream parties like Germany's Social Democrats in government or Emmanuel Macron's Renaissance Party, further to the right on immigration and security issues. This is a pattern you see across Europe. European Commission would not do well to tell you not to appear too dismissive of Wilders. What his election success tells us about the political winds blowing across Europe with victories against the leftist agenda and overreaching controls from the COVID era, which is still not fully over. The winds of change are strong with New Zealand throwing out Labor in October, obviously Argentina rejecting the left and also in the Netherlands. So will Donald Trump's support surging and the Democrats in a tailspin as what to do next? Who will be the next to fall? Some are saying that it might be Canada, where their opposition leader, Pierre Polivier, who, uh, made an amazing deal in Parliament recently and has recorded some impressive videos, one of which I'll share with you next week. Now, another situation that we're seeing, of course, is the stabbing situation in Ireland. It's mean, meant that Conor McGregor, an MMA fighter, has come out raging and also pointing to the immigration crisis there, even though the media is telling us that it wasn't the Algerian migrant that did the horrible stabbing. Meanwhile, over in New Zealand, where the Labor government was thrown out about six weeks ago, but not before former Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern quit, leaving Chris Hipkins to go down with the sinking ship. Ardern cited the usual reasons are failing politician jump shit. I mean, why bother campaigning and getting abused? Just come up with a great reason, such as spending more time with your family or your kids. But on April the 4th, 2023, Ardern was announced as a trustee of the Earthshot Prize. Ardern was selected for the post by Prince William, nonetheless, who stated that Ardern had a lifelong commitment to supporting sustainable and environmental solutions. Lifelong. Thanks, William. According to the Prince, Ardern was one of the first people to encourage him to establish the prize. Oh, what a perfect deal they two have struck. Same day, Prime Minister Hipkins appointed Ardern as a special envoy for the Christchurch call which he had established following the Christchurch mosque shootings to combat online extremist content. During her valedictory speech, Ardern called on political leaders and parties in New Zealand to take the politics out of climate change while highlighting her role in getting cross-party support for the passage of the Climate Change Response Zero Carbon Amendment Act. 
Ardern accepted dual fellowships at the Harvard Kennedy School for a semester beginning in fall 2023 to serve as the 2023 Angelopoulos Global Public Leaders Fellow as a Hauser Leader at the Centre for Public Leadership, where she intends to share and learn leadership and governance skills. She will also work with Harvard's Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society as its first Knight Tech Governance Leadership Fellow during that period where she will focus on the study of online extremism. Ardern attended the University of Waikato, graduating in 2001 as a Bachelor of Communication Studies in Politics and Public Relations, a specialist three-year degree. She took a semester abroad at Arizona State University in 2001. After graduating from university, she spent time working in the offices of Phil Goff and of Helen Clark as a researcher. 16 years after she left university, she became Prime Minister of New Zealand at just 37 years of age. And Ardern has just announced that she suffers from a rare condition called imposter syndrome. That's a situation where you don't believe in yourself, that you're not qualified to do what you're doing and encouraged others to just get on with the job at a recent speech that she gave and just to believe in herself or yourself, the idea of faking it till you make it. Nothing like putting in a phony when you're going to tell the entire country to, we are the only ones that are going to tell you what to do. They are the only ones that you're going to believe is the government. Take the vaccine, mask up and do as you're told and the whole thing turns sour. Goodness me, you would think she would dig a hole and get in, get in it and never get out. And a shout out to the millions who never get promoted, work the same job, the same basic skill set, and get overlooked despite their efforts. But Jacinda, just go back yourself, even if you believe you haven't got the qualifications to be prime minister. It's an incredible, incredible story. Now, I just want to bring one more story in now because it's just come to hand to me. Icelandic authorities have warned that a major volcanic eruption could occur with just 30 minutes warning as earthquakes continue to rattle an area near a coastal town that has evacuated earlier this month. An eruption is still considered imminent, but the Icelandic Meteorological Office said on Wednesday that it now appears less likely that molten lava will burst from a magma tunnel directly under Grindavik, the town from which about 4,000 residents were forced to flee their homes nearly two weeks ago. The latest seismic data suggests that the eruption will most likely occur between Silingarafell, a few miles north of Grindavik, and Hagafell, further to the northeast. The probability of a sudden eruption with the town limits of Grindavik have been decreasing every day. And it's totally considered low, the IMO has said. It can be assumed that the magma in the tunnel under Grindavik is partially solidified, which also reduces the likelihood that the magma will suddenly break its way to the surface within the town limits. However, scientists have warned that the slowing pace of earthquakes in the area may signal that magma is getting closer to the Earth's surface, making the expected eruption more imminent. IMO reported that about 100 earthquakes were recorded between midnight and 6pm Wednesday, compared with thousands of daily tremors earlier this month. Stormy weather and strong waves have hindered efforts to monitor the seismic activity. And our thoughts go out to those in Iceland bracing for this imminent eruption. We're going to take a break and be back with more here on Compass at TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Adam Johnson and Matt Petgrave squared off last month in an elite ice hockey league game in England. During the game, Petgrave slashed Johnson under his chin and Johnson quickly bled out. That's not the real story, however, as horrific as it might be. The real story is how the manslaughter charges against Petgrave, which were handed down this week, are being reported around the world. Man charged in ice hockey death. Man charged in Adam Johnson's death. Not murder, death. And not Petgrave, man. Why would the media downplay this event? Oh, did I forget to mention? Yes, Johnson is white, Petgrave is black. And you can be certain that if the roles were reversed, we would have had days of rage, we would have had cities burned down, we would have had marches and protests, we would have had boycotts of the ice hockey team involved, but no, Johnson's white, so bygones. This double standard must end. For MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? 
He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. You're listening to Compass with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. An American man convicted of child sex crimes in Kenya nine years ago was denied bail on new charges of defilement months after he was mysteriously released from prison where he was serving a 50-year sentence. Terry Ray Krieger, 68, was arraigned on Tuesday, November the 21st, evening in court in Mavoko County, the outskirts of the capital, Nairobi, accused of sexually assaulting a three-year-old early this month. He was arrested on November the 10th. He faces additional charges of being in Kenya illegally. Senior Principal Magistrate Barbara Ujo denied Krieger bail after prosecutors argued successfully that he was a repeat offender and a flight risk. Remain in custody until November 27 when the case will be heard again. He did not enter a plea yet. Kreiger uses a wheelchair and requested bail because he needs additional care. US national was sentenced to 50 years in prison in 2014 for sexually abusing Kenyan children and circulating their images online between December 2013 and May 2014. He was released in November 2022 under unclear circumstances after only serving eight years of his sentence. Man from Michigan was convicted in the US in 1992 for sexual conduct with a minor and served three years in jail before his release in 1995. And COVID can only get crazier for those that use the narrative to support this mysterious agenda. Los Angeles County Department of Public Health is pushing a campaign to do free, wait for it, taxpayer-funded COVID testing for your pets. That's right. They write, we are offering free testing of animals for SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. It is estimated that about 40% of dogs and cats end up becoming infected when their owners are infected. Testing is for both domestic and wildlife animals in LA County and pets arriving to LA International Airport. On their testing page, they actually say it is possible that new variants may emerge from that that could infect humans. Therefore, it is important to continue to test animals for the virus in LA County, including wildlife and pets. What kind of backward science or lack thereof is this? I go on to say that they've already tested 251 animals, including, we're not making this up, 11 coyotes, 7 possums, 17 raccoons, 9 skunks, 1 dolphin, 1 sea lion, and 5 zoo chimpanzees, and found 4 cases, 1 dog, 1 hamster, 1 rabbit, and 1 coyote. 
Thank goodness that the poor dolphin wasn't infected because a human needing to give it CPR in the middle of the ocean could contract the virus and get a bad cold or just the sniffles. Well, that's outright lunacy, isn't it? Not just a waste of taxpayer money, but a mockery of science, common sense and the entire government in the US. How can any person have any faith in a government that goes around capturing and nasal swabbing marine animals, skunks and coyotes at tremendous expense, even if every dolphin on the planet had COVID? There would be a zero chance of any human contracting it from the animal. What's next? A campaign to vaccinate and boost every animal? Sorry, Mr. Humpback Whale, you can't come into LA County waters until you've had the most recent booster. Here's your shot now, off you go. I don't know how this is going to go on, but shaking my head for months about this, we must defund programs like this. And in fact, the entire department, they have zero legitimacy. And an analysis of UK government data shows an unprecedented increase in cancer deaths among 15 to 44-year-olds following the rollout of COVID-19 vaccines. According to a new report by data analyst Edward Dowd, the report has promoted or prompted renewed calls for further investigation. Teenagers and young people in their 20s, 30s and 40s in the UK are dying from rapidly metastasizing and terminal cancers at an unprecedented rate since COVID-19 vaccination began, according to the analysis by Dowd. The 45-page report that he put together, he's a former Wall Street hedge fund manager and author of Cause Unknown, the epidemic of sudden deaths in 2021 and 2022, alarmed some oncologists who characterised it as a sharp reversal of decades of mortality data. Dowd play, um, based his analysis on readily available government stats from the UK's Office for National Statistics, which we've previously quoted on this show. In an interview with The Defender, Dowd said that he and his research partners, who include a handful of high-level scientists, data analysts and financial experts, examined all international classification of diseases, 10th revision codes for cause of death in the UK in the study period of 2010 to 2022 to investigate trends in malignant neoplasms, which are coded C00 to C99. ICD-10 codes are the international physician's classification of diagnosis, symptom and procedure for processing set by the World Health Organization. Malignant neoplasm is a cancerous tumour. Down said his research team noticed a striking pattern. Almost all deaths among older people in 2021 and 2022 in Wales and England had been coded. 8% of deaths among 15 to 44-year-olds in 2021 and 30% of deaths in that age group in 2022 had yet to be coded. But even with the caveat of missing codes, he said, the remaining 92% of COVID deaths in 2021 and 70% of COVID deaths in 2022 revealed a strong signal of cancer deaths in the young. We show a large increase in the mortality due to malignant neoplasms that started in 2021 and accelerated substantially in 2022. Increase in excess deaths in 2022 is highly statistically significant or an extreme event, he wrote in his report. Results indicate that from late 2021, a novel phenomenon leading to increased malignant neoplasm deaths appeared to present in individuals aged 15 to 44 in the UK. The study's results in the rate of cancer deaths above the historic norm in 2022 for ages 15 to 44 in the UK included, one, a 28% rise in fatal breast cancer rates in women, an 80% increase in pancreatic cancer deaths among women, a 60% increase among men, a 55% increase among men in colon cancer deaths, and 41% increase in women, a 120% increase in fatal melanomas among men, and a 35% increase in women, a 35% increase in brain cancer deaths among men, and a 12% rise in women, and a 60% increase in cancer death rates among men in cancers without site specification and a 55% increase among women. So where are the politicians? Nowhere. Like in LA, they're now swabbing dolphins. In a groundbreaking archaeological discovery and excavation project has unearthed the possible temple dating back 1400 years in Eastern England. Is the thought the find made near Sutton Hoo in Suffolk could be connected to King Raidwalk of East Anglia, who ruled from the late 6th or early 7th century. Professor Christopher Skull has been leading Suffolk County Council's dig in the area known as Rendlesham. They found the remains of a large timber royal hall last year, but Skull described the latest discovery as remarkable. The results of excavations at Rendlesham speak vividly of the power and wealth of the Eastern Anglican kings, 
and the sophistication of the society they ruled. The possible temple or cult house provides rare and remarkable evidence for the practice at a royal site of the pre-Christian beliefs that underpinned early English society. He said, it's distinctive and substantial foundations indicate that one of the buildings 10 metres long and five metres wide was unusually high and robustly built for its size. So, so perhaps it was constructed for a special purpose. It is most similar to buildings elsewhere in England that are seen as templates or cult houses. Therefore, it may have been used for pre-Christian worship by the early kings of the East Angles. Scholar Venerable Bede in his 8th century book, Ecclesiastical History of the English People, made mention of the king's village at Rendlesham. And Uruguay looks forward to further enhancing economic and trade cooperation, as well as people-to-people exchanges with China, including collaboration under the China-proposed Belt and Road Initiative. Uruguayan President Louis Lacal Pau said at a press conference in Beijing Thursday, Lacau made these remarks during his five-day visit to China, which runs from Monday to Friday. The visit coincides with the 35th anniversary of the establishment of diplomatic relations between the two countries and marks the fifth anniversary of Uruguay's participation in the joint construction of the Belt and Road Initiative. The trip further strengthens the relationship between this Latin American nation and the world's largest or second largest economy and also its largest trading partner. Lacal also emphasised his concerns about the rise of global trade protectionism and called for a collective defence of free trade. The Uruguayan president saw substantial results from the visit, during which the two countries signed 24 agreements covering various areas of cooperation. Notable highlight was the announcement on Wednesday to elevate bilateral ties to a comprehensive strategic partnership with an agreement to deepen collaboration in trade, agriculture, cultural exchanges, the joint construction of the BRI, according to media reports. During the press conference, the Uruguayan president emphasised that the elevation to the Comprehensive Strategic Partnership is based on the trust between the governments and peoples of both nations. He added that his upgrade in bilateral relations will further enhance Uruguay's role as a key gateway in Latin America, facilitating dialogue and exchanges with China. The president also discussed the significance and importance of the BRI in promoting bilateral economic and trade relations, highlighting that since joining the initiative, particularly leveraging Uruguay's unique position as a gateway to Latin America and southern common market, cooperation between Uruguay and China has deepened in a range of fields from production and manufacturing to logistics. The President stated that another purpose of his visit to China is to advance a free trade agreement. Over the 35 years since the relationship was established with China, the categories and qualities of exports have shown year-on-year growth and significant improvement. He said that as a member of the Southern Common Market, Uruguay is actively coordinating negotiations. We're all inviting all member countries in the common market to participate fully in the negotiations of a free trade agreement, the President being hopeful for swift progress and the early realisation of the bilateral free trade agreement. Well, one person who will not be taking part in anything to do with that will be the new president-elect of Argentina, who has vowed that he will not accept the invitation to join the BRICS group of nations in January next year. That's a significant turnaround for what looks like a very powerful organisation, already a huge landmass, massive GDP, and a big possibility of taking over the G7 and G20 in all of those metrics. Well, that's it for today's edition of Compass. Coming up next is The Chris Smith Show. This is Jason Olborn for Compass on TNT Radio.